folks. Welcome to Indaba Africa. This is Chris coming to you live from central Pennsylvania, an undisclosed location somewhere deep, deep, deep in the depths of some bunker. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. It's survivalist day here on Chris Y in Africa. Are you ready for this? We have a treat for you today as you hide out in your bunker. Where are you preppers out? Are you preppers out there? Are you hiding in the hills of Snowdonia somewhere in Wales? Are you somewhere deep in the forest in Ireland? Or maybe you're in the Black Forest in Schwarzwald somewhere in Germany. Wherever you find yourself around the world today, folks, uh, maybe you're in the forest of the eastern part of South Africa where they have timber and they do timber hunting there. Welcome, folks. Welcome into our survivalist stream for today. I have a special guest on a special feature on Chris White Africa coming up in just a moment. I do hope that you're prepared. Are you prepped? Are you set? Are we ready? Okay, we're going to get started. But before I move on and bring my guests in, I should point out to you, ladies and gentlemen, that this is real kit. This isn't made up. This is an actual Gore-Tex vest, rain vest from U.S. Army. Check it out. There you go. There you go. Check it out. Minus one item, and that's identification of rank insignia, which would normally go right there. But you see, I can no longer wear that right there because that would be my colonel rank. There you go. Full Colonel U.S. Army. Can't wear that eagle anymore because I'm retired, unless I get called back to active duty. All right, folks. So here we go. All right, we're going to bring in our guest. Our guest today is Dabble Smith, and I'm going to welcome him into the stream right now. Uh, and it's getting kind of warm in this kit here in the bunker. I'm kind of kind of overheating here, so I'm going to take that down a moment. But let me get Dabble back in here. There we go. All right. And make sure I didn't push the remove button. <laughs> he should be joining us any moment. There he comes. He's coming up now. Dabble, how you doing? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the stream. I'm glad that you made it here today, and it's good to speak to you, Chris. So did, did I get kitted up correctly? Have I got the right kit? That is excellent. Absolutely. <laughs> I really enjoy that. That's great. Uh, I, did, I didn't bring any firearms with me, but I'm sure we can survive that, <laughs> that shortcoming. Anyway. All right. So, so Dabble, welcome in. We're going to talk today about, um, about survivalist and survivalism and maybe a little prepper stuff, um, how to prepare for the zombie apocalypse how to be prepared for disaster response, really disaster preparedness. All these terms which people toss about and not everybody knows. Hang on, let's see if I can keep my hair looking decent. Okay, not too bad. <laughs> but but I was prepared, ladies and gentlemen, just in case. So here we go. There we go. Just make sure. You got to be sexy on air. Oh, are we on now? Sorry. Dabble, are we on the air? Sorry. Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. All right, folks. I hope you enjoyed that prepper outfit there. That's just my army rain kit, so I don't get soaked in the tropical storms of West Africa. All right, Dabble, can you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself so the audience knows you? You are the Citizen Guardian on YouTube. We see you a lot there. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. Thank you for the introduction, Chris. I really appreciate that. And I just want to say hello to the viewers as well. And essentially, I am a quote-unquote prepper, even though the terminology has got a large amount of stigma against it as well. I'm definitely somebody that takes survival quite seriously. Um, but to the point that I'm not erratically emotionally involved in it, rather I'm somebody that just realizes that things could happen and I always try and just um, in everything that I do on a daily basis, just try to make sure that I'm doing the right things to get myself and my family as prepared as possible. Absolutely. You know, there, as you say, there's um, I don't want to say stigma is the right word, but there's certainly a negative connotation applied by people who don't know about the topic. When you say survivalist, they think of some, you know, Ted Kaczynski out in a hut somewhere sending, you know, bombs as a Unabomber around. Or they think of, you know, um, religious zealots hanging out somewhere waiting for the for the uh, for the rapture or something like that. But it's not that at all, is it? It's just really prudent um, planning for eventualities. Absolutely. And also considering with what's been happening in 2020, uh, the 
large amounts of people that used to be more against preparation in itself have fortunately, because of 2020 and the global pandemic, we've, a lot of people have seen the value of it as well and understood that it's something that is necessary. And I definitely believe that more than anything else, more than bug out bags or inch bags at all, or anything, any of those terminologies, which is basically um, and also EDC everyday carries, um, essentially just being prepared in itself is something that can absolutely save you from being a statistic if in the eventuality of any chaotic situation situations happening. I apologize. No, no worries. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, it's interesting that we, we have this topic because I think it's apropos, as you said, in the midst of the pandemic. It's, it's funny here in the States, you see a lot of people who run around and um, are staunch anti-gun rights advocates. Oh, people should never have guns. What do they need rifles to shoot rabbits for? Actually, rifles work pretty well against rabbits, but that's another story. So do shotguns. But anyway, <laughs> but uh, why do they need these things? They're just dangerous zealots. Um, but you know who was first in line at the gun stores when the urban insurrection started taking place here in the United States? All these left-leaning liberals and soy boys were lining up, standing in line in front of rational people like myself, and we just gave up on the line because I don't need a gun. I can disarm these clowns without one, but I'll come back when, they, when, they, when it's calmed down and all the soy boys have their firearms. But it's funny how these people who are anti-prep, anti-survivalists, they're the ones that are the first ones when something starts to happen, they rush and go, help me, woe is me. Absolutely. I've seen the same thing. I've definitely um, come to the understanding that it is a lot better to be prepared just to be able to take care of food, water and shelter and essentially hygiene as well. And just understanding the basic concepts behind survival. And as you start to get into it more, it should be something that will grow on you slowly. But at the same time, it definitely is something that you shouldn't be doing it out of really fear and just out of panic. You should have a stable mind getting into it as well. And you should do it as a passive thing and just include that into your daily life. No, absolutely. I, um, I, I've never considered myself a survivalist, but of course, many of the skills that survivalists develop and make sure that they're, they're, um, they're current in are things that as a serving military member just come naturally to me, just the sort of thing you do. But also as a person who's always thought ahead, you know, not five minutes, not five hours, not five days, but five months, five years, 15, 20 years down the road. Uh, in fact, uh, my army career played out pretty much the way I set it up in 1984. Now, I didn't have a lot of control over it, but I would have to adapt as the, as the course changed and adjust so that I could get to my goal. And I reached all of my goals because I had a plan in 1984. Otherwise, I would just stumble through it. And who knows what would have happened? It might have been a good ride, but I had a fantastic ride because I prepped and I planned ahead of time. So for me, it's the same sort of thing. When, when I talk about uh, disaster preparedness or disaster, or disaster response when it's time, is it's not just disaster for me. So this is a little bit off the survivalist take, but it's in, in your entire life. I mean, uh, if you're young and you don't have much of an income and insurance is inexpensive, it's not a bad idea to have life insurance because you never know what's going to happen. You could get hit by a bus walking out in the street. Uh, if you are if you are young, you should start saving money because that money will grow exponentially, grow so much faster than if you try to start doing it when you're 40 or 50 or 60 years old. So that's all part of being prepared. And I think life is, we have no guarantees. We could all get hit by a bus or die from malaria at the age of five. But if you're alive, you should always plan for the future and save a little bit of resources for that eventuality down the road. And the sooner you start, whether it's saving money or having uh, financial wellness, as I call it, or it is having a store of beans and petrol and, you know, something or just cash. You need a little bit of cash on hand, too. Right. Just in case. That's exactly the case as well. And I think that's um, one of the first original points that people should try to cover is just slowly getting into gardening. I know gardening is not something that a lot of people really might enjoy all the time, but it is absolutely something that is a learned skill. And as you practice it more, and even growing things such as tomatoes and potatoes, like starting off simple with the three sisters as well, and including corn in that, it's definitely something that you can start preparing now for. 
and being more active with regards to that as well. So that if there was some sort of a food shortage, that you would be able to take care of your family. Because essentially, you never want your kids or spouse or close friends looking at you and asking if you've got any food for them at all and you have nothing to give them. I think that that's something that is really a tragedy in itself. Well, can you help us out here a little bit? You say three sisters. What the heck are the three sisters? I don't think everybody knows what that is. Absolutely. So that is squash, corn, and beans grown together, and they're complementary plants. So when they do get grown together, it is, they're also very fast-growing vegetables as well. So you'll always have an abundance amount of food if you do use that spe uh, specific strategy. All right. Excellent. That's helpful to know. Yeah. So uh, how did you get into this? I mean, uh, before we get to the crossbow hanging on the wall back there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, absolutely. So I've always been somebody that's been very invested in scouts. I was a scout for six years when I was younger as well. And it's something that I've really always enjoyed the outdoors. I love nature as a whole. And being somebody that has also been able to travel, uh, trained mountain biking when I was in the United States. I trained uh, federal riders and campers as well to get much more acquainted with mountain biking. I used to train downhill mountain biking. And essentially with the survival skills that I've learned from being an outdoorsman as well, um, if you just put into the equation of what's been happening throughout this country and also on a global scale, you start to see that um, if we just take a moment to notice what's happened in history, we don't want the same repetition of history to occur and for us to not be prepared in any way. And just if I can just um, touch on the topic as well, sure. is that survivalism in itself is absolutely for anybody whatsoever. It doesn't matter on age, on gender, ethnicity, um, on weight as well. Um, there's a large amount of factors that people think the ultimate survivalist needs to be. But if it does, when it does come down to it, I would much rather trust somebody that is, for example, overweight, that has a very good mind and a strong will, and also potentially very good at aiming and has various other skills, rather than take somebody that is you know, a runner or a sportsman that just is absolutely a tragedy to deal with. So it definitely doesn't um, matter what somebody looks like. We're all human beings. And I think that survival is something that people should absolutely take a lot more seriously. Well, it's interesting because it seems like uh, the most popular shows, a lot of them the last decade or so have been all these survivalist sort of things. You've got The Walking Dead, Fear of the Walking Dead, all these zombie movies coming about, all these post-apocalyptic worlds and how people respond to them. And it's not just the last decade, but it's really seemed to pick up steam in the last decade. So there's clearly a hunger for it, at least in the popular entertainment industry. And uh, I imagine that um, when it comes to a business standpoint, it's probably a profitable business for people who make camping supplies, hunting supplies, hiking supplies, uh, rock climbing, all these different things. I should think that it would be a very successful business model. Absolutely. And more so in the current days due to, as we've mentioned, the COVID situation, a lot of people have taken it um, quite seriously. And what I found in the beginning of the COVID situation as well, which was very enjoyable for myself to see, is that instead of the people rushing and completely emptying out the shelves, a large amount of these seeds were actually being taken. And for me, myself as a survivalist, when I see that people are actually buying seeds, it really does give me hope that people are actually realizing that there might be food shortages and that they would need to start subsistence farming as well. Well, it's interesting you talk about that because in the aftermath of, um, I think it was the Second World War, the Second World War in Germany, the, uh, the German citizens who were desperately hungry, and if it wasn't for U.S. food assistance, uh, millions would have starved to death, not just in Germany, but across Europe in general, because harvests were devastated. I mean, the war didn't end until the planting season was pretty much coming to an end, and it wasn't safe for people to go back in 1945. So it was widespread hunger. But, but Germans started something um, that was inspired later by a, a, uh, I think he was a botanist, and his name was Schreber. And um, I, I remember exactly, it was Hans Schreber or something like that, but they're called Schrebergarten. And Schrebergarten, or urban gardens, which uh, city residents uh, would put out to grow 
uh, cabbage and carrots and beans and, and maize and things like that to help with food supply. And it's interesting because culturally, Schrebergartens, which most Germans don't even know the origin of. I remember I was in Germany because I studied the history of it because I'm like, you, when you're learning a language, you're like, Schreber, what's that? That doesn't mean fruit or soil. What is it? It was somebody's name. And so yeah. I, I researched and found out it was named after this agronomist or botanist, whatever he was. I think he was an agronomist. And um, most Germans had asked about it, and they, they don't even know the origins of a Schreber garden 50 years after the Second World War. But it continues as a cultural tradition today that throughout Germany, in every urban center, there are urban gardens and there are plots where city residents come, and each of their sections are usually fenced off and it's protected, and they grow their own vegetables and flowers and things like that. And it's really, it's good. It's, it's, a, it's a, a, set, a supply of food on the side, but it's also good for people's well-being, their mental well-being, and to get out of the house and that sort of thing. So, I mean, just from that standpoint, not even a survival standpoint, it's just a healthy sort of thing to do. Absolutely. And that brings me to another point as well that I think is quite relevant with the conversation. It's, um, it's funny how once you become a little bit more survival orientated, and that doesn't mean that outwardly you need to, you know, dress like Rambo all the time, like, <laughs> there's no need for that. But I, I definitely think that it's something that um, will instill people with a large amount more confidence. And they'll be able to eradicate the fears and anxiety that they could currently be experiencing if they were to become a lot more of a survivalist. And the problem is that I see a lot of the people um, orientating towards is they'll be complaintive about where they're staying or their political structure, but yet they won't practice anything that actually assists them if things had to go completely off the rails. So I think that that's something that um, also comes up with that. Just if I can touch on that for a moment with normalcy bias. Normalcy bias is a term that I think is very important. It's essentially the fact that a large amount of people will resist the idea of being a survivalist in general. So I think that that's quite interesting. Yeah, there's some interesting comments here in the chat. Uh, Nigel said, greetings, animals. Be careful, there's a hunter in our group. <laughs> I think, think you might have noticed the crossbow behind you there, or maybe it was my cosplay. Um, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure what it was. And then uh, Chad said something about um, he's a survivalist. He's married. Uh, ooh. <laughs> Yeah, that's not going to go over well. Let's hope your your spouse is not watching this. Anyway, and then um, I think it was uh, Swarm uh, Swarm G said that uh, in the Netherlands, people also grow gardens. Um, yeah, it's it's the same sort of thing. Uh, it, it's widespread in Western Europe, but it it really became a big deal in Germany, and after the war, and so it's just just prudent sort of thing. But anyway, so back so back to this. So you you started. I mean, when did you develop this mindset? I mean, you, we we started to talk about when you first started getting into survivalism. Is it so I was no, absolutely go ahead. Sorry. No, no. Is, is it? Did you think about it as a kid or is it something that you're looking around? And you're going, oh, man, this is dangerous here. Or or you just were you mentioned you were in the outdoors and maybe that played a role in it. Absolutely. So being somebody that has always enjoyed hiking and being outdoors as well. And I also love canoeing, motocross, um, just in general, anything to do with outdoors is has always been something that I've really enjoyed. And be, seeing um, just through the life that I've had already, I've seen the great sides, the good sides, and the bad sides to people. And in most situations where the grid goes down or something, it's actually people that are the biggest threat in some ways. Um, but at the same time, you really won't get anywhere if you become, if you have the mentality of lone wolfing, which is essentially being able to go out there and like go into the bush by yourself and last in that way. Community is absolutely the most important part of survival, which is quite strange because you're learning and there's so much knowledge at people's um, disposal as well due to the internet. So it definitely does come down to the situations that I was experiencing and seeing that there have been, and also a little bit of uh, studying into history and seeing what has happened to people in the past and just making sure that I don't want that same situation to occur to my family when I'm unable to assist them. 
No, it makes sense. But listen, some people, come on, let's let's be serious about this. Some people think that this is something for nutters, right? I mean, that, that's a lot of people have that perception. And it isn't helped by Hollywood. I mean, in the 1999 film Blast from the Past, Brendan Fraser uh, plays a young man who spent his entire life in an underground bunker because his father thought that the Soviets had nuked the United States when he was born. So they descended into their bunker only to, to discover the new world and a lovely young Alicia Silverstone and uh, experiencing all sorts of things not from the 1950s. Uh, but, I mean, that's not what it's about. I mean, we don't have to have a bunker to be a survivalist, to be prepared, do we? That's pretty much exactly that. Um, you don't really need to do that's macro scale preparedness. There's a difference between macro scale preparedness and micro scale preparedness. Essentially, what anybody can do if they feel that they're like very far from being a survivalist themselves is just start looking at like small kits that can essentially help them out when it does come to water and food. And it's always the fact that knowledge is so much more important. If you understand how to do certain things with regards to survival and how to attain water, how to procure food in the wilderness as well, it's the knowledge that nobody can ever take away from you that is so much more valuable than building the inch bags. I'm sure that behind you, you may see that I've got quite a large hiking bag over there as well. Um, I know it's a little bit hard to see because you're only really seeing the top of it. And now that itself is an inch bag. It's an acronym for I'm never coming home. And essentially what that means is that if things were to get really out of hand, then you would be able to look after the people that are around you using the technology that's in that. So there's cordage. Um, the five C's of survival are quite important. It's cutting, cordage, container, combustion, and cover. And, if, and that's by David Canterbury. Um, so the five C's of survival as well, taking those into account, and then also building an heirloom seed vault. So uh, I hope that people can just understand that, um, you know, when it does come down to certain things, that it is unfortunate that there is that stigma that exists, as you said earlier, but it um, really does come down to somebody like myself. I'm a very hard worker. I, I want the society to um, be as, you know, positive as much as possible, but it is definitely something that is just something that pertains all the time. Sorry about that. No, no, that's fine. Uh, so um, I, that's a fascinating acronym you just shared with, which, with us, which I think a lot of people never heard, an inch bag. I'm never coming home again. That's a scary thought. Yeah, and it is, to be honest with you as well, that's the last resort. Bugging out isn't something that you really want to do. Um, sheltering in place, which is making sure that you have enough food and vegetables growing in your own backyard, that you can actually um, survive for a longer term in your home as well. But then you also got to look into security and how to make sure that your home is a lot more secure. And one of the biggest tips of that is just having small dogs that can keep you alert so that you're able to act and then also having good lighting. No, that's a good point. And also, um, I, I would suggest this is having a, an alternate source of power for the lighting, whether it's solar or it's even hand crank, you know, a bicycle. I mean, in a pinch, if you have that to charge batteries, because um, you can't count on commercial supply of power, particularly if like there is a um, electromagnetic pulse that wipes out all of our electronics, you're going to have a real problem. But uh, if you have uh, if you have sources of lighting that aren't connected to the grid, if you have something like that, or or if you have an unreliable power supply because the power station is out or taken down or the lines are toppled or something like that, then you have a backup for it. It's it's, it's critically important. I think one of the nicest things that came about years ago was about 20 years ago was the hand cranked batteries on these AM radios, and so we would crank it and we delivered those all over West Africa so that uh, sheep herders and, and goat herders had access to market news. But those are nice kind of survivalist and uh, emergency preparedness sort of thing. Absolutely. There's technology at the moment. There are solar banks that you can get as well. So you get little solar devices. Um, I don't want to give any specific company branding out or anything like that, but there's a large amount of solar banks that are out there that can charge your cell phone just off the use of the, of the sun. 
And there's also um, a large, there's, you get solar watches. Um, there's pretty much a large amount of devices out there at the moment. Um, the headlamp that I use as well also has a solar generator power on it as well. So there's so much utility that you can just get out of the sun with the, with the modern technology taken into account. Yeah, here in the U.S., there's, excuse me, <clears throat> there's a frog I'm trying to get rid of here. But uh, here in the U.S., we've got uh, quite a big market for these sort of things. We've got L.L. Bean, which is an outdoor place. I mean, not really designed for preppers or survivalists, but by nature, the things that they offer are just the kind of things you're looking for. So L.L. Bean is a major private company based in Maine, known all over the United States. They have amazing quality clothing, um, durable things that last for decades. Um, also, lots of outdoor camping things, uh, alternate sources of power, all that. LL Bean REI, which is Recreational Equipment Incorporated, which is a co-op. It's member-owned. I'm a member and have been for about 20, 25 years. Uh, they're fantastic. Uh, they're all over the United States, and you can mail order online to get all the things you're looking for. And then, of course, um, Bass Pro Shops, which people think of as an outdoor sportsman shop, which it is. But you can find all kinds of useful things that, to help you with carabiners and canteens and cooking stoves and things like that. So if you're you talked about micro and macro level. Yes. Is, uh, there's obviously different levels in between. I, I guess the way you approach this is, is what works best for you as the individual and for your family and, and what you're trying to do. And I suppose over time you could go from being a micro to the macro, just, just taking it all the way. Absolutely. And it does need to be a gradual process. And that's what a lot of people don't understand is that they find themselves without any equipment currently. And they think that um, just being, you know, survivalist, being a survivalist in general is something that's so far away from them. Yet it's something that can gradually start. And it's something that will, give, will absolutely, as I said before, it'll definitely give people a large amount more confidence. Now, the difference between macro and macro, of course, is that the macro preparedness is essentially having enough money to have a solar powered yacht, a bunker, looking at those type of things where it really comes down to those. And then micro preparedness is more looking at the bug out bags known as bobs. So bug out bags, inch bags, and understanding the knowledge as well to be prepared for anything that comes into micro and macro preparedness. Well, listen, I got to say your survivalists are as bad as the army. You got acronyms for everything. Inch, bobs, come on. <laughs> so uh, with, with, without, uh, without um, you know, favoring or endorsing any brand, are there any, are there any major names of, uh, are there any major national chains in South Africa where people could go for these sorts of goods? I mean, obviously you don't go to Total Sports. That's not going to meet your needs. Um, the Sportsman's Warehouse, surprisingly, within South Africa, actually has a vast amount of parking gear, and you can start looking at those. And then there's also the outdoor warehouse shop that's locally, um, that where they locally have a large amount of supplies as well. So outdoor warehouse throughout South Africa is an incredibly good shop for being able to attain some of the items that you're needing. And then obviously, if you look at the spectrum of things at the moment, um, essentially there's a large amount of uh, use within budget preparedness. So you could essentially like um, gather a bug out bag without costing you a large amount. And there's a large amount of content on YouTube about that. Well, at this point, like right now, I'd like to just take a moment there, Dabble, and, and, and pause for a second, just so we make it clear for folks. Ladies and gentlemen, this is not Sightlanders. We're not predicting the apocalypse. This broadcast today is not coming to you because we expect some sort of uprising or attack somewhere. This is simply bringing a public service to people to talk about an important issue, one that um, if you follow the mindset of a survivalist and or a prepper or someone who's just prepared for disaster response or disaster preparedness, then you are planning ahead. And that's the reason for today's stream. I just want to make sure I don't want to come out and go, oh, my God, what happened? Did the Eastern Cape go up in flames? No, 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 no. That's not what happened. <laughs> We're just talking about this topic because people who plan things 
um, they plan all the time. They always have contingencies, as we say in the military, branches and sequels for which way. If this happens, it's kind of like a computer program. If this, then that. If then statement. So uh, I think that's an important distinction. I just want to share that real quick, Dabble. I don't want anybody coming going, oh, what happened? You know, like, because yesterday Beirut blew up. Remember that. So keep that in mind. Of course. And that also brings me to the point of that as well. I won't go too much into that. And my heart goes out to the people that, oh. to the human beings as well, that have suffered through that. There's terrible, it's a tr terrible tragedy for the earth in general. And I think that when there's a large amount of loss of life that's lost like that, that's bad for anybody. And I just think that in those type of situations, um, another friend of mine released a video today that was called, uh, what would you do in, the, in that specific situation? And now, unfortunately for the people that do stay there, um, they were unaware if it was gonna be a military, if it was a military attack or not. And as soon as that happened, they weren't sure if that was gonna be an ongoing attack either. So absolutely in the first case, if, if that situation had to occur, it is preferable for people to have a bag where they can just grab the bag and know that they're gonna be a lot more likely to survive because as soon as that type of situation occurs, those same people that have lost their homes in that, um, over a gradual amount of time, people start to get a lot more desperate. And if they've lost everything, then they've got nothing to lose. And a human being with nothing to lose can sometimes be quite frightening. So that's pretty much the, the gist of it, is just to move out of the town for a moment and perhaps go to a family farm or a family location if you have an, a location outside of the city. And then to be able to return once you do find out that the, that the um, event was due to something that was non-militaristic. Well, you know, it's, it's a couple points here. Hopefully I don't forget them. But the first one is you're absolutely spot on about this is that Beirut, especially, didn't say this, but it was implied, and or I inferred what you're getting at. Beirut, which had a long and bloody and nasty, very nasty civil war took place and destroyed the city over a period of two and a half decades, has only come out of that, you know, in the last couple of decades and has recovered. And it, people have living memory of explosions and rockets and gunfire and bombs blowing up there. So when that thing happened, you can just imagine how, especially people in their 30s and older in Beirut were like, oh, God, here we go again. What is this? Uh, did Israel bomb us? Did, is this is this a is a missile from Syria? So that's one. That's I think that's an absolutely important point to point out. I mean, but the other piece I just want to say is that is that at least people like that had experienced those things. So even though they didn't know what this was, they knew how to took action. I, one of the videos I showed yesterday that people shared, these people began to immediately descend the stairwell, didn't go for an elevator, they went down the stairwell when they saw this first explosion go, trying to get to ground to make sure they weren't trapped in a building that could collapse on them. Excellent, yeah. brilliant response to that sort of thing. Uh, and they kept themselves out of the line of fire, not knowing what was going on. But I mean, that's just part of preparedness. If you're prepared, then, and that's where I was going with the second point. Being prepared, just like in the military, means that you can respond to things. One of the reasons why well-trained soldiers can respond to being fired upon and why they return fire, unlike in the Civil War, where soldiers just kept jamming rounds into their muzzle. They, just, they never fired because they were terrified. But now in yeah. you know, the modern military, where we get lots of marksmanship training, we, tr we exercise all the time. It's like muscle memory. When, when an event happens, you may be startled by it for momentarily, but you respond quickly because you're trained and it's actions on contact. And, and that's a military phrase, but I think actions on contact is an apropos term to use for being a survivalist or being a prepper or being prepared for disaster. What do you think of that? Absolutely. And I know that there's so much information as well that you'd be able to provide for me. Even somebody that's, because I've been into preparedness now for the last 15 years, mm -hmm. 10 to 15 years. But I could, I can absolutely know for certain that there's so much information as well from yourself and your experience within the military as well that it'd absolutely be beneficial to a survival type of situation. Um, I absolutely concur with you. Uh, I also, I read on the side that Chad Beck notes, um, perhaps a question for Citizen Guardian as a survivalist, um, should one make part of their skill sets, the ability to kill to survive? 
killing for food is no easy obstacle to overcome. If you may answer that quickly, is that all right? Yeah, please do, please do. I was about to get to that and another one after, but you take that one. Absolutely. So for Chad, um, just building an heirloom seed vault and understanding what a plant needs essentially, which is why I said that like gardening in the beginning can be a very good first step. Um, understanding the difference between non-heirloom seeds and heirloom seeds is very important because what you can do with heirloom seeds essentially is continue the generational crop so that your seeds, your regular seeds that are bought at the store will only yield fruit or vegetables once. So building an heirloom seed vault that you can have food for an extended amount of time is very important. However, food is not always the most important thing. You can survive roughly three weeks without it, but you do need to take it into account. But my honest emphasis would always be on water as having water, you really can't go for too long without water. It's up to about seven days and then you really um, what will happen with your body is you'll start to become dehydrated and all the other actions that you need to do to stay survive, to basically stay alive and to stay as well as possible will become that much harder once you do become dehydrated. And once you do have access to water, it is best to take smaller sips. Um, if you are very dehydrated, whatever you do, don't take large gulps of water because your body can reject that. So water is definitely something that we should focus on as well. I hope that that helped a bit, Chad. No, I think that probably did, but there's 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 lots of ways to slice this. But for me, I always look at it this way: when something happens, whether it's a it's a um, it's a, a shooter on a site, you know, someone's that sort of thing, or it's uh, a, a, you know an insurrection. Suddenly, people are shooting in your neighborhood or tearing up your neighborhood, or there's a disaster. For me, the three things are: first, whatever you, wherever you're at, you need to get to safety. That's job one. Whatever safety may be, get to safety. Number two, you're going to want to, um, once you've got safety, you're going to want to try to find shelter. Safety and shelter aren't the same thing. Safety can be a ravine. It can be a culvert. It can be a mountain yes. redoubt. It can be all sorts of things. That's safety. you got to be safe first. Let the danger pass over you or around you or whatever it is. And then from there, get shelter because you're going to have to get out of the elements. And then you're going to have to get water. Because you said you cannot go long without water. You already start to feel the effects of dehydration within 48 hours. Uh, severe dehydration comes later, but people already start to have cognitive challenges, particularly if if they um, don't have or don't have a history of being well hydrated to begin with. They start to notice it pretty quickly as their system dries out. We can't go for long. Our body is made up primarily of water. We don't look like it, but most of our body by volume is actually water. So uh, you are you're literally shrinking and eating yourself away when you're not getting that fluid. And clean water is critical. Otherwise, you get all kinds of gastrointestinal problems, and you get you get dysentery, and all, and then your, your problems are exacerbated. <laughs> so Absolutely. water is not water is not water. So learning about water cleanliness and how to clean water is a critically important skill. And these days, it's handy because you can buy lots of kits in which you can pour unsanitary water into it, and they have filters and such, and it becomes safe to drink. So, um, do you use those? Are you familiar with those? Absolutely. So water filtration devices are definitely something that are absolutely useful. Um, the, re the only problem with water filtration devices, there are there's soya, um, there's two big brands out there. there. There's Soya Mini water filtration systems, which are really good. And if you can, and if you've got the capability to invest in one, I would absolutely get those. Um, I actually had to have one shipped down from Johannesburg down to where I am. And um, essentially, water filtration systems are really good, um, but they do tend to clog with extended use. So you want to have a syringe so that you can back out that um, any of the ground that's within that water filtration device that you can still use that repetitively. You also wanna try and boil water, um, boil the water and filter it regularly via cloth before using the water filter because you'll get a large amount more use out of that once you have boiled the water uh, originally before that. And so, yeah, I'm absolutely familiar with water filtration devices and they're excellent. 
No, critically important skill. I'm going to take a moment here for a little housekeeping. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to Chris Wyatt Africa on the Adaba Africa channel here on YouTube. Special feature today on Wednesday, August 5th, 2020. My guest is Dabble Smith, who is a survivalist. And we're talking about survivalism and preppers and disaster preparedness, that sort of thing, and covering a host of different topics. And so if you've got any questions in the chat, feel free to ask them. We'll do our best to get to it. If you do a super chat, we might get to it faster. <laughs> Just saying, but uh, seriously, so uh, Dabble, back to back to this topic here at hand. Um, do you now, in your level of survivalism, do you you've got a crossbow behind you? I'm, I'm, let's talk about the crossbow. I want to talk about your crossbow. I've been seeing it hanging there the whole time. <laughs> All right, let me, let's talk about the crossbow. That looks pretty awesome from here. Um, I take it you're proficient in its use, and do you use it for sportsmanship, or do you use it for hunting, or both? Uh, I'm from a family that of licensed hunters as well. So our family does, I do come from a background of that and that's quite efficient. And I, mostly with any device that you're using to either defend yourself or to hunt with, you just staying in practice is something that's very important because you'll use, you'll absolutely lose the usefulness of whatever you're using if you don't constantly practice that. And you'll also be able to see exactly how to maintain that. Now the um, Seawolf as well that I've got behind me, that crossbow, it's a very straightforward and down-to-earth uh, crossbow as well. So if you just understand the mechanism of that, and if you, I try to practice at least twice a month, three times a month, just to keep that uh, fluidity as well of my training. And then through that as well, I usually do target practicing. And I'm definitely somebody that um, prefers bow hunting to rifle hunting, but I've got nothing against um, hunting in general. I do understand that it does need to be disciplined, um, that you really do impact nature if you do that without really having much consideration for nature as well. Remember that I'm absolutely a nature enthusiast in every way, and I love all of God's creatures. So I'm not somebody that really is going to advocate for um, what they call canned hunting. I'm not a big fan of doing that. And unfortunately, that is what um, occurs on some of the smaller farms. And that is something that occurs. So um, just in general, um, whatever you're using, even slingshots, practice that, uh, repeat that, repeat that, um, Acts as well and repeat uh, just target practicing and once you are able to do so you'll be a lot more confident when it does come down to using that so with that crossbow it's um i call her old lucky she's uh <laughs> because i really have had some surprisingly lucky shots with her already so um yeah that's definitely something that i am quite passionate about there's a couple comments from the chat uh, kilometers per hour said that have a place outside your area where you can meet up with your family if circumstances are appropriate no, I think that's absolutely important and um, not to overdo it. But of course, this is the military officer. I mean, the planning coming out. But uh, I have uh, what we call rally points. Uh, I have rally points established northwest, east and south of where my current location is, uh, where I live at. And they're all within a certain distance so that if I'm an out and about and I have family and I'm concerned and say, say our dorp, our village comes under attack or it's up in flames, you can't you can't get there. You have a place where you can meet up and you got to make sure it's a place where not everybody's going to meet up. Otherwise, you have congestion and you never find anybody. So the local shopping mall, not a good rally point. <laughs> I'm just saying <laughs> unless now if now here's another thing. I mean, if you got kids, you're running around the mall. I mean, this is just something prudent parents do all the time. You, know, you let your, your older kids, OK, go to the movies. Like, we're going to meet here at this time. If we don't meet there. Then you're going to meet at this place at the last point. So it's always good to have a rally point established. And that's what we call that uh, kilometers per hour, a rally point so that you know where to meet up in case something happens. Um, and that's critically important. Also, you know, set a little guideline. You know, for instance, um, I mean, this, you can take this so far, but I mean, just something simple. If, if say, there's a, a disaster or there's, a, there's an uprising in your town or something like that and you can't get home, and your family's in jeopardy, you tell them to meet you at Rally Point, whatever you want to call it, Springbok or whatever, you know, or uh, or uh, uh, Oryx, whatever you want to call it, or, or Ruivok, Rui whatever. Pick pick something. 
and then you have that rally point and then you tell them, okay, if I'll meet you there and if I don't meet you by this time, then we have some alternate place. Uh, because you can't rely on communications. And if you think you can, all you have to do is look at 9-11 and look at how people couldn't make phone calls with their mobiles in New York City because the lines were saturated, absolutely saturated. And the 911 operator system was completely broken because you know, millions, millions of people called 911. That's the emergency services number. And so you have to have a backup plan of your own. So just be smart about it with your rally points and your communication techniques. Absolutely. And um, that's something that also matters quite a lot. It's just having open communication with people that you can trust and building that community as well of people. And it's unfortunate that as you start speaking to uh, people in general about survival and about self-reliance, a large amount of people will have that resistance to it. That's why a slow introduction is a lot better. No, I absolutely agree. Now, Lynn asked me to ask you where you're at. Um, he's somewhere in Africa. No, he's, uh, if, 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 Dabble, if you don't mind sharing what province you're in and if, if the town or, you know, maybe give a town nearby so we don't know. No. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. I'm over in the Eastern Cape. So that's where I reside as well. Um, I'm very familiar with the Western Cape, with Cape Town as well. Done a large amount of traveling between the two. And uh, yeah, just uh, in Eastern Cape, right close to uh, Port Elizabeth, the city. So okay. that's relatively close enough to where I stay. All right. So I actually thought that uh, that uh, you and uh, Ronaldo Hoss were from uh, Dispatch. You grew up as mates or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, plenty of respect and kudos to Ronaldo for shedding light on, topic that, um, on topics that a large amount of people don't. And um, I was fortunate enough to run into him just before uh, the lockdown started at Warner Park. And um, he was doing, you know, signing there for his radio show. And uh, yeah, I'm a big um, supporter of Ronaldo. I definitely think that he's got a large amount of um, intellectual topics that he touches on. And uh, I really have been an avid fan of him for a good couple of years now. Uh, I don't know if Wakanda is having a go here in the chat or he's serious saying that, you know, people who don't wash, don't bathe, don't get sick. Because somebody said something about chemicals. You don't have to use chemical shampoo to take a bath, but you should bathe. Um, you see people who don't bathe, they have lots of blackheads and pimples and things growing on their body. So I wouldn't recommend not bathing unless you don't have an option, folks. Um, if you can, like what I really want to speak about on that topic specifically is um, if you don't take care of your hygiene and not just in the, like, in the situation that we're in right now, if it was some sort of a grid down situation and you're not taking care of your hygiene, your health will slowly uh, depreciate as well. So um, taking care of your hygiene and there's a large amount of ways to do so um, using uh, ash, using ash and water to make a toothpaste, for example, there's, and making, um, learning how to make your own last soap. So using coal as well. So there's a large amount of hygiene properties regarding survival as well. Even if you weren't, even if, for example, the, the taps stop running water and you don't have access to that right now, there's still alternative ways to keep your hygiene as good as possible. So I hope that, I hope that helps you with kind of, and then, uh, yeah. Really like, I, so. like I said, I don't know if Wakanda is having a go. We're just having a crack at some expense. <laughs> serious, but honestly, I, I don't. I don't recommend not having hygiene. Here's another, here's something people to, they. It's it's good that you mentioned Dabble um, uh, making toothpaste. Why is that important? Because dental hygiene uh, a lot. Now I'm sorry for uh, Nigel. Are you still here? Or is it Nigel or somebody's in England? I'm trying to remember. I think it's Nigel. Uh, no, no slight on the English, but they're also not world renowned for their dental hygiene. I'm just saying, but. But, uh, but uh, dental hygiene is critically important. I mean, one of the leading causes of, of, um, of uh, illness, in fact, is poor dental hygiene. People get sick from dental hygiene. It leads to heart disease and many other things, and it causes all kinds of problems, not to mention the, the agonizing pain you can get if you have an abscess or if you have rotten teeth. So you have to take care of your teeth, and it's, 
it's it's an important hygienic skill that not enough parents inculcate in their children, and I think that's unfortunate. Absolutely, I completely agree to that, and that's why hygiene is definitely one of the factors that um, I addressed on a recently uploaded video of mine. Um, hygiene is one of the core components. I would honestly say that food, taking care of food and water, obviously as well, food, water, shelter, hygiene, and community are very important. And then, if you understand the um, the amount of information that's out there as well that you can learn. And if you put that into practice and put that into regular practice, you'll be surprised how much you can actually gain regarding that. And it is unfortunate about that whole uh, prepper, the, the, <laughs> the stigma, because trust me, I've, I've definitely encountered that. So uh, let me do a little rundown here. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, so when this um, lockdown uh, got, got legs, because here in, in York County, Pennsylvania, we um, went on lockdown the day after South Africa did. Ours wasn't just draconian, but um, it, it also had a lockdown on ban We couldn't have alcohol at the time, and, and there, were, there were no masks, and then we came up with that. But, we, but it wasn't as bad as South Africa, but we've been pretty much been a lockdown since then with the level being raised and lowered. So we're kind of in sympathy with folks in South Africa. But um, when that happened um, in March, as I recall, I wasn't particularly concerned, not, not about the pandemic and the virus, but about, you know, stores of things. I can go into my basement, and I've got metal shelves that I keep down there that are full of beans and full of um, uh, paper products, hygienic products, cleaning solutions. Um, I, I, people are running around can't buy Purell. Well, this Purell is probably four years old. I'm using it now because it's the oldest in my stock before it expires. Although Excellent. it says yeah. expires in 21, July, 2021. So I'm using the oldest of my stock and working my way down the list. But, but I have that because um, I didn't go out and buy cases of it and spend all my, my money. So I couldn't buy smokes and booze. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, <laughs> well, no, you get my point. A lot of people, they don't plan. Then they got to go buy all this stuff. They have no money for anything else. So I bought a little bit of this, a little bit now, a little bit later and just buy a pair. It's kind of like my car. People are like, um, so you do maintenance of the car. I said, yeah. And every month I set aside a certain amount of money so that when it's time, in case something happens, my engine goes out or transmission, I have some money set aside for car maintenance. People are like, well, that's, that's kind of smart. Yes, but most people don't plan that way. And it's the same way when it comes to preparing and having resource hands. So as I was saying, when this thing struck, um, other than not having a freezer in my garage, which I didn't have intentionally and I was going to buy this year, I got one now, but uh, I was going to buy, that's about the only thing I was lacking. I had uh, a full tank of petrol in my car, had all the resources I need. I had whatever emergency cash, you know, hidden in a maize, uh, mayonnaise jar somewhere in my yard. So go, good luck digging that up. No, but, uh, <laughs> but seriously, Dabble, I mean, I would imagine you probably had some supplies on hand when this thing started. Absolutely. And it prevented me from being the people that had to as erratically do their shopping on um, spur of the moment as well. And I'm sure that a large amount of people saw that the shelves uh, started to get a lot lighter. They had a lot less of the regular um, food that they would usually have. It's not to say that the shelves were completely badly stripped, but um, somebody that, and it's exactly what you're saying as well, keeping a rotation of the items that you do have, keeping your bean stocks as well, using that and just having, and as I said as well, it's definitely something that slowly uh, builds upon itself. And it's also something that you need to be able to make sure that your um, stocks if you, if you can, are transportable. So if you have, for example, a very um, strong rugged tog uh, bag, for example, like a good rucksack, mm -hmm. then you can keep a large amount of food within that and then keep it on rotation so that if things were to go really wrong and you had to leave your home for some reason, that you just basically would be able to grab that and hit the road. So just having that mindfulness all the time and, to, and what you said as well is so important, using your older stock and then just replacing that over a certain amount of time is absolutely the right way to do that. That's where a lot of the homesteaders as well have gone. And that's in the last 10 years, um, survival and preparation has evolved dramatically. 
we used to look at um, a large amount of people. Fortunately, I was also a survivalist back in the day. And um, it was more about the bug out bag, mostly focused on bug out bag. But fortunately, as that's evolved, it's definitely become a lot more about homesteading. So homesteading is definitely the new survivalist mentality. No, I think that uh, one of the things that, that people don't get, and it's, it's, of course, been the military. One of the reasons I'm accustomed to it is because when you have conflict, you quickly see this. But most people don't realize that the supplies of most basic items are usually no more than three days in the pipeline. Uh, stores are getting replenished every three days on most common. Now, not obvi obviously not everything, but most common things. So if everybody were to go make a run on a run on the marketplace, you see the shelves get cleared pretty quickly. And then there's a backlog. So like, for instance, right now, I can't find a Blu-ray player anywhere. Nobody has a Blu-ray player. And that's only a problem for me because mine stopped working. <laughs> so <laughs> I had a spare, but uh, it wasn't working either. So bad luck there. But I had a backup DVD player, which I had from years ago. So that's what I'm using now. So I can watch DVDs. But my Blu-ray player, it just, it, just, it just cocked up on me and stopped working. So I went looking for it. And because everyone's sitting at home and they're trapped in their, in their, in their homes, and they can't go anywhere for a long time, they, they made a run on Blu-ray players and DVD players, and they were all sold out. And the point is, is that the Chinese factories aren't running, contrary to what the myth in the media telling China's profiting from this. No, China's having an economic disaster right now. Their factories aren't producing them because that's where they're all coming from. And so our shelves are bare and they've been bare for two and a half months. So the point is, with a food chain, a lot of the stuff is just a few days away from not being there. And so you've got to have some sort of plan all the time, not just not just in case there's a crisis. I mean, something you like is sold out. What happens in the, the law of supply and demand, you know, like these people who didn't have these things a couple months ago, they're all standing in queue, maybe getting exposed to COVID, waiting to get stuff before people were wearing masks and waiting in line and paying two, three, four times the price of something because they weren't prepared. That goes with the just-in-time delivery service. That's exactly what you're talking about. So the just-in-time delivery service for people that might not be familiar with that is essentially the fact that the logistics companies, um, they've got to deliver food every two to three days to shopping malls because it's a lot more economically economically efficient for supermarkets and for retailers to have two to three days stock with them. So the just-in-time delivery service is essentially there so that um, there can be a certain amount of commodity that's at the supermarkets. So that really does come down to um, having that constant stock so that if the stock was, for instance, cut off with the logistical departments as well, logistics departments, I apologize, then you would absolutely be able to have a large amount of um, food for a certain amount of time rather than that. So just in time delivery service is absolutely something that comes into equa the equation. Yeah, not not spend too much time on this, but <clears throat> I think Wakanda is still having fun here. He says, hobos don't take a bath. I never heard of a sick hobo. I think he's being funny. Um, if you've obviously never worked at a shelter in Los Angeles. Uh, I can tell you that hobos are in very poor health. But, but on a more serious note, um, this was a good question. Let me just get back to it here. Uh, this question was from Larsolas. Larsolas says, what kind of tradable items should one collect in event of disaster? I consider the ability to trade as important as if there is a prolonged need for shelter. So I'm, I'm guessing Larsolas is asking that from a business owner standpoint. And I think it would depend on what your business is. Or if you're like a shopkeeper, a tuck shop, or sorry, you know, what, what's what's the other word there you guys have for that in South Africa? I'm drawing a blank on it. Not a tuck shop, but there's another. A spaza. If you're a spaza or a tuck shop or something like that, you're going to want to keep um, the things that you know are going to fly off yourselves and they're going to be in demand. So uh, that might be different things in different places. So for instance, South Africa, um, it would have been, but you got to be careful too, because things expire. You can't have cigarettes that are 10 years old. You can, but they're not going to taste very good. You, you can't, you can't keep mayonnaise jars that are 20 years old. They just don't work. Now, canned goods are a different story. So I think it depends on your business and depends on your clientele. If you're a business owner, what do you think about that, uh, Dabble? Well, it's, it really does come down to, and this, this is quite a big, um, 
problem as well that a lot of people face. And when they do encounter that, the best way to have some monetary system as well, if you can't access the banks, is having get, um, items that are tradable. They actually make um, from raw metals, you can get gold chip cards that you can invest in. And those gold chip cards essentially mean that you could break off one of those and use that as a bartering item. So you actually get um, chip uh, gold plated cards as well and gold uh, sheets of metal, well sheets that you can break off and use as bartering items. And of course, having the um, straightforward having food when people are desperate is absolutely something that you can barter from. And that's why if you're able to do gardening and you have food and produce that you're busy growing, you can always trade that with a neighbor for a crop that they potentially are growing that you don't have access to. Uh, now, see, this is a case of where we're separated by a common language. So now that you've explained it because you understood what Lars Solos is asking, I, I took it literally for the trade goods as in a business person, but you interpret that uh, correctly as barter, goods for barter. That's what I would have said. So um, yeah, I think you answered the question correctly, but I think my answer was still useful <laughs> for a business person. But, but, <laughs> but I think you've hit it spot on the head. Um, uh, what do you need to barter with? because cash society will quickly go under, confidence in money may disappear entirely, and it'll be worthless like wheelbarrow loads of uh, Deutschmarks or Eichmarks back in, in Germany and then Weimar in the 1920s, or Zimbabwe in the 2000s, you know, <laughs> where people, the paper's absolutely worth less than it, it costs to print it. So yeah, barter goods, I think that's, that's, that's a good point. Thanks for you've interpreted that properly. Um, okay, there's the, it's not an elephant in the room. I don't even know that it's a, I don't know, a, a rhino. Let's, uh, I don't know, a, a, a clip springer maybe in the room. But behind you, I see these awesome looking flags and I do see old glory hanging there next to the South African flag. What's that all about? You got both of them hanging up. You're not an American, are you? Well, my sister's been in the United States for 15 years and I traveled the US when I was in my early twenties teaching mountain biking. And um, I've always had an affinity for the United States. Um, I'm a, I'm a little, little bit of a cartoon um, fanatic. Like I love Captain America. I uh, really enjoy like that side of it. Um, and also what the United States stand, stands for is that no matter what you look like, if you're willing to put in the work, then you can absolutely climb the economic ladder. If you're really willing to work hard enough and it doesn't matter what you look like at all, that you can essentially reach the goals that you put in front of yourself. So the Amer America in general is something that I'm really um, an absolute fan of. I've always loved the United States and um, I work for a US-based company as well. And I've been working for a United States-based company for a very long time. So I've always felt that the United States is close to my heart as is my home, South Africa, proudly South African, but I also absolutely see the straps and the Star Spangled Banner as something that I'm really um, quite close to. Well, listen, uh, Dabo, I, 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 have to, I have to intervene here. Uh, apparently, you're not keeping up with current events. I'm going to help you out here. So, so you have to understand that America is a country full of systemic racism. And uh, all white people by nature are racist. And that's why we have domestic abuse. Wait, wait, I'm sorry. I'm confusing it with South Africa. Sorry. But uh, apparently, you're not keeping up with the uh, Bravo Lima Mike movement, which is telling us that there is systemic injustice and that no people of color can rise to any heights and all us old white folks are just racist. Uh, I just, I want you to know that. I mean, just if you come to America, wherever you fall, if you're white or non-white, wherever you fall on that spectrum, you need to be fully informed about the racist nature of this society where, where people are not treated equal, where our constitution specifically says that people of color can't own property or vote. Yeah. I just thought you should know about that. <laughs> Absolutely. So if I can touch on that for a moment as well, um, speaking about preparedness and also ethnicity, mm -hmm. um, there's a large amount of people that are out there as well. Um, if you guys have, have a moment, you can look up the Angry Prepper. 
um, also another survivalist, but um, survival crosses all the ethnic boundaries as well. It's definitely not pertaining to any specific uh, gender and race. And uh, being somebody that's a father, I've always seen um, my child um, interacting with people in a very positive way, regardless of race. So it's definitely something that is learned over time. And I understand that there are people that have certain bias and stereotypes against certain things. But at the end of the day, logic should tell everybody that we're all human beings and that there's a large amount of good people out there and bad people of all ethnicities. So it's 2020, and you'd think that we'd be over the racial biases already, but unfortunately, it just seems to be getting worse. Um, 2020 seems to be people where people are really focusing on race, and that shouldn't be something that's as relevant. And I don't know, I just, I just feel that, honestly, um, it's really something that bothers me that um, anybody that really has a large bias against somebody else just from another group because of the color of their skin, I absolutely dis that, I understand that so strongly. So it really does come down to loving human beings as fellow human beings and realizing that hatred is something that is learned and so is racism. And in every single way, like I've absolutely always had so much time for no matter what they look like. Um, people of all ethnicities, of genders, of sexuality, preference, like it really doesn't bother me whatsoever what somebody chooses to do. Um, rather what type of context of their character is. That's something that matters to me a lot more. Yeah, one of the things I learned, a uh, very, very useful thing I learned, a uh, quote from Martin Luther King, is judging people the content of their character, not the color of their skin. And, and that's always how I've treated people. And I also try to live by the golden rule. Um, you treat people the way you want to be treated. So I try, I try to treat everybody with respect. I mean, I, I'm sure I failed on occasion. Somebody cut me off in traffic. I probably didn't say something generous about them. But uh, by and large, I treat people with the golden rule. So kilometers per hour says uh, keep small bottles of whiskey and cigs, you know, like the kind you get on planes or in hotels. That's actually, that's good barter Very stuff. Small. That's good barter yeah. stuff because people yeah. people want that. Even people that don't drink alcohol may turn alcohol in desperate times just for relief. And then Chad has a question for you. Chad said, um, in prepping, the worst case scenario must be considered, but at some point there's a level of normalization. Is there a projected time frame for that? Well, before you answer, um, Dabble, I would say that, it depends on what the circumstances are. I mean, if it's just a riot in your town, it, it, it may not go on for days. It may go on for a day or two. Um, if it's a tsunami in, in northeastern Japan, you're going to be dealing with it for months so or years. So I think it depends entirely on what the situation is. But what's your response on that? So that's one of the problems that has actually caused people to have such a big problem with preppers is they'll give a timeline about when something's going to go wrong. And that's never the way to see it. Like, there's no way that anybody can ever foretell the future. So in essence, um, it's a very good question, Chad. And I've always noticed that you've got incredibly good questions on the channel as well. Um, so it really doesn't, I'm never going to say that next year things are going to go completely piton or, you know, wild completely. Um, there's no way that we'll ever really know when things are going to happen. But that's why survival and preparedness is something that will add that confidence and instill you with a large amount of confidence, essentially, that even if things went bad tomorrow, that you know there's tension in the south china sea i won't even really get into that heavily but um the world is facing some disaster scenarios which could be just around the corner but at the same time the system could stay as stable as possible for the next decade or two and there's no reason and then all what you've done essentially by being a prepper essentially is just making sure that regardless of whatever happens that you can always be safe and also it's a really good party trick for when you go camping you know, that's true. <laughs> but but let me put this in perspective right now just to make so it makes sense for people. Okay, in your case, in my case, 
when the panic, because it was panic, people are terrified. They don't, they don't know, they can't see it's an unseen enemy, COVID. This, and it's, it's exacerbated by political actions, but people are scared. When that began in February, March timeframe, you and your family and I did not have to go stand in queues at stores to wait endlessly for goods that people are just snatching or have to get a particular brand of something that we're not fond of or unwilling to pay a price for because we were prepared. We had things ready. And of course, now I imagine you're probably at, at, at opportune times refilling some of the stock that you've expired now because preparing for the next time it happens or, or expecting as a lot of, I, I think a lot of people in South Africa were shocked. I warned people when the alcohol ban was lifted, go stock up, get all you think you need for a year because guess what? Guess what? It's coming back. And then two a few weeks ago, about three weeks ago, they re-implemented the alcohol ban. I think a lot of South Africans were caught by surprise. What? Not again. Because there was no, there was no warning. There was no warning. It was the next day. I think Cyril told us at like eight o'clock at night or something like that, and it was in effect the next day. So it just stopped. So, so you you, you can't count on being able to do things. So I think in this case, and we we didn't have to stand in the queue, we didn't have to spend resources that are needed preciously for something else right now, and we didn't have to potentially expose any of our family and loved ones to a virus that we might have gotten in contact from unnecessary contact. So your preparedness. And my preparedness served us well right there. Absolutely. And Lars mentions it again, where he says that gardening is so important. And that's one of the things as well, because then you can essentially go and pick fr uh, ripe fruit and vegetable out of your garden, which is much more nutritional than having to constantly be on tin foods. Because um, that really does come down to making sure that you just have at least two to three months of food at hand. So that, and then constantly rotating it, as we spoke about earlier, that's something that you could definitely do to make sure that you don't run into things. Um, one of the comments earlier asked about affiliations with groups or anything like that, uh, mentioning the state landers. And I don't know the state landers uh, well enough to have any uh, judgments against them or for them, but I personally just try to take care of my community. That's hence Citizen Guardian. I try and look after the people that are around me um, within my close proximity rather than you know, mass scale where you draw unwanted attention. And then if somebody of your group says something specifically, then you automatically get affiliated with that. So that's definitely something that I'm not a big fan of. Um, not, But when people do want to have a little bit more security, I could understand them joining certain groups and that's not a problem whatsoever. But I definitely believe that a large amount of people should just concentrate um, directly on their own level of preparedness and then build on from that. Um, but I absolutely have nothing against or for any affiliated groups. I just wanted to answer that question that came up earlier. No, that's good. Um, there's a couple of things here in the chat. Let me just cover this really quickly. Um, so there was a, a comment uh, from kilometers per hour. It said duct tape is crucial, repairs everything, boots is. But listen, you're not, you're not, you're not, you don't have to sell me, brother. I'm in the army. We call that, <laughs> we call that hundred mile an hour tape. Why? Because you can drive your vehicle hundred miles an hour and stuff don't fall off when you use that tape. You can get that stuff with a power washer and it sticks to military vehicles. 100 mile an hour tape. If it wasn't for 100 mile an hour tape, we probably have a lot more casualties in the U.S. military. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> also, um, if you want to put a brand on that, there's specific survival tape, yeah. survival duct tape. Uh, there's a brand called Gorilla and Gorilla duct tape. If you have a moment to just look up on that as well, you'll be able to see that that is incredibly strong uh, tape that's designed for survival. So duct tape is an incredibly good thing to bring up as well. Now, is, is that from the same brand? Uh, I think it's the same guys that make Gorilla Glue, you know, where they put the helmet on yes. and the guy hangs up yes. there from there. <laughs> with the gorilla? With yeah. the gorilla? On By it. the way, that's a butt-ugly gorilla, too. I'm sure they can get a Britain <laughs> one, you know? You know? I mean, those 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 gorillas in that, what was that movie, that uh, the Michael Crichton movie, um, Congo, 
Those gorillas were better looking than that, man. Come on, get something fuzzy <laughs> like that. That gorilla is ugly. Anyway, uh, and then Corlea said, uh, Chris White, 8 p.m. on a Sunday. I, I don't know what that, what did I miss there? Um, anyway, but hey, listen, so when we booked this slot, um, uh, Dabble, when I, you were my first guest of the week, so let me put that out there, okay? So you knew you were first, but, but how do you like this, man? You come in a week in which Friday I have Steve Hofmeyer on this channel, and Saturday I have Unata Kwasi on, Akwaza on here again. Man, you, you, you picked the right week to be a guest on this program. This is a, this is a hot week, I'm telling you. Thank you for that, Chris. And it's yeah. really always a pleasure to be speaking to you and communicating with you. And I, I really am a big supporter of what you do on YouTube. Well, thanks a lot. You know, we first started chatting. I didn't know if you were offering to come on the channel or trying to get me to ask you to come on. But because when I asked you, if, can I get you on the channel? It almost seemed like you're kind of surprised. Oh, me? I'm like, yeah, dude, you got a good story to talk about here. <laughs> Thank you for that. And that's definitely something that is rather unique. And that's, you know, it's, it definitely pushes a large amount of people away. Um, at the same time, survival and prepper and that type of thing. But um, I just want people to understand that um, even as myself, I have a career that I've been working on for a very long time, which I won't get into the details of that. Um, but I am a careersman and a family man, and I'm somebody that is very much down to earth and like, you know, I'm not somebody that clings onto any conspiracy theories. I love them and they're interesting, but I don't put any of my faith within them either. So um, yeah, it's, it's definitely good to be here, Chris. Cool beans. Well, folks, we're at one hour here. So just uh, before we go any further, or if we do continue or so on, I just want to mention you're listening to Chris White Africa on the Indaba Africa channel here on YouTube on this uh, Wednesday, August 5th, 2020. Ladies and gentlemen, we're now oh, 10th month, 11th month into the COVID-19 mess uh, since it started in southern Ch or southwestern China. And here we are around the world all trying to deal with this stuff amidst the pandemic. So it seemed rather a apropos topic to be talking about survivalists and survivalism and preppers and prepping and emergency preparedness. My special guest on the feature today is Dabble Smith, uh, who is a survivalist uh, from South Africa. We've been talking about this. Dabble, are you able to go a little bit longer or do you have, you have a, a pressing engagement? No, absolutely. I enjoy being on the show and I'm quite a big, I'm quite familiar with a large amount of the people commenting as well. And they're giving out really good advice. Um, you know, powder coffee lasts forever, which is true. Um, tamp uh, I don't know if I should say the T word there, but there's tampons, great for gunshot wounds. Um, that is, there's actually been a debate about that. Yeah. Um, the, the, it is debatable. I know that off the, off the front of it, a large amount of people will tell you that they're actually really good. But there are some bad signs to that as well. Um, there are some negatives about that. Um, it is a very good suggestion, and I can understand um, that it is, you know, coming from a, a, a place where you've been able to learn that. But you should be quite careful with that itself. And I'm sure that Chris will have some advice on that as well. No, absolutely. Um, and it, it's uh, th there's there's debate about that topic as well. Um, now, some of it is is unwarranted. It comes from a time we had toxic shock syndrome. Uh, back, you know, three, four decades ago, but that, that, that situation no longer exists, but there's a different debate about it. So um, I, I won't recommend it or not recommend it. Listen, if you're in a pinch and someone shot and that's what's around, that's what you use, you know, yeah, uh, but yeah. I would, I wouldn't stock tampons for gunshot wounds as opposed to proper dressings. I would buy proper dressings would be my advice. I will say that Southern Metalhead did make a good point. Uh, Southern Metalhead said the tampons are good for social justice warriors too. So I just thought I'd share that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little light humor there. I don't think no. I don't know if Dabble will know if he could laugh at that or not. But you can laugh if you want to. You know, I know. I was, I was waiting there. I was just not too tired. 
<laughs> that was that was actually funny. So, well, uh, apparently they're good for uh, uh, Karens and Kevins too. You know, people who are hysterical. So. <laughs> Um, you could always stuff them in their mouth and they don't have to listen to them. So I'm just saying, and they're very absorbent. So it sucks all the moisture out. So the Karens and the Karen or the, the Karens and the, and the, Ke and the Kevins can't, uh, can't make any more trouble anyway. <laughs> all right. We're digressing away from a topic at hand though. So, <laughs> so, um, do you, do you teach survival skills to anybody beyond your, your immediate family? What I was doing in the United States with along with mountain bike training is I was training um, people with outdoor skills as well. So it's definitely something that I spent three to four years of my life. And also when I was in the scouts, I was a scout leader for a while. So I instructed other people exactly how to do some of the most basic survival, um, survival concepts as well. Um, and absolutely the reason for me using YouTube as a platform recently is I feel that it has a large amount of reach. And the more people that are prepared and um, self-reliant, if I can reach one or two people out there to actually get them more prepared and more into that mentality, then I feel that I've done exactly what, I've, what has been needed to do as well. Now, did I put the link to your channel in here? I don't recall if I did. Uh, I did. There you go. It is there. Okay. Oh, no, that's mine. All right, folks. Uh, if any of my moderators out there, if you could dig up uh, the Citizen Guardian's channel real quick. My apologies. I thought I put it in the, in the uh, description for the stream and just post it here so people can check out your channel because you've got some good content on there. Really, really well thought out content. I, I don't know how you deal with the copyright claims, but I'm not going to investigate that. I have my own challenges with that. <laughs> Very short videos. That's the answer to that. It's exactly. incredibly short clips. <laughs> Three seconds or less, they don't bother with you. <laughs> now, when you play, yes. you play an entire song from Giselle, apparently you become a target. Even when you have the license, I'm just saying, yikes. Anyway, so um, listen, you know, something here that's just the most basic of things we haven't really talked about here, and that's that's whether you're a prepper or not, just being a responsible adult. People ought to have fire extinguishers in critical places around their home, and they ought to be checking them periodically, not buying it and seven years later trying to pull it out and put out a stove fire because it's not going to be fully charged. But checking your, fire, your, your firefighting equipment around the home periodically as well as first aid kits. I mean, it's astonishing to me how few people have first aid kits in their car, warning triangles, gloves, and things like that. They're just totally unprepared for a car breakdown, let alone someone cutting the finger. I see people going to emergency rooms because they're bleeding, because they don't have first aid kits at home. That's insane. And it just seems to me a basic adult thing to do. Yeah, I'd strongly recommend people, when, if they do have the opportunity to do so, to take a basic first aid course, even if it was level one, level two, level three, um, just to do introductory courses for um, first aid. There's also a large amount of information that you can learn online, but uh, definitely putting it into practice and understanding what that's all about, like what first aid is, is essentially like one of the most core parts of survival as well. It's just realizing that you can't ever take for granted um, your health and also injuries. Um, you Something that a lot of people might be familiar with already, but a good way of cleaning out water is by uh, cleaning out wounds is by pouring water from a moderate heart and allowing the force of that water and the gravity to essentially wash that away and clean that out as well. So try to be familiar with first aid. Um, it is definitely something that could save your life and you never wanna run into a situation where you need it, but you don't have it. And that, that gets to the next point. Someone in the chat, I think just a moment ago mentioned it was Larsolis talking about antihistamine. Um, when it comes to prepping or just being responsible, it's always good to have a, a, a store of essential medicines or preventative things. So not just first aid, but for instance, um, if you if you use or rely on ibuprofen or um, or Tylenol, acetaminophen, or even um, um, uh, paracetamol, which is a Southern Africa, UK kind of thing, that stuff doesn't work, <laughs> not for me. But if, if, you, if you have those and you rely on those, that's also something that ages over time, but usually it's two, three, four, five years, something like that. But you're gonna wanna have that or aspirin on hand 
and, uh, and make sure that you have that in your stock as well. And then um, you mentioned antihistamine uh, for pests where people have issues with allergies and such, um, yep. bee stings and things like that. It's always good to have that. Now, when it comes to prescription drugs, if you have prescription drugs, if you can have a spare amount, it never hurts to have them if you have a doctor's prescription to have a backup because you never know when you're going to see a doctor again or have access to those sort of drugs. And if you rely on them for your good well-being and your health, it's critically important to have a stock of those. Would you agree? Absolutely. I think that that's one of the most important things that you can do. And also looking into alternative medication. I know that there are certain um, stigmas against that as well, but there is alternative medication that can be found within the wild. If you take the time to understand exactly the local plants within your region and look at the medicinal uh, medicinal values of those. So that's also very important is having a stock of um, antibiotics and antibiotics are very hard to get um, as well. It's obviously something that People even use um, antibiotics for animals, and that's something that in a desperate situation can be of assistance, but it's definitely not something that you first go to. No, absolutely, but it, it's critical to know these things. You know, it's, there's some places that have really a great uh, great number of plants and herbs that have additional value. If you look at the Finbos and in the Western Cape, lots yeah. of stuff out there. In fact, we're still discovering a lot of those things that just uh, that maybe the, the San knew about, the Bushman knew about, but uh, the rest of us never really did learn about. Uh, and, and even to this day. So it's good to be aware of that stuff. There's lots of guides for this sort of thing. You, you know, bookstores uh, can be a helpful source of information, this, don't you think? Absolutely. And if you're wanting to, when you mentioned literature, um, I absolutely, I've got it right here. So if you can see that, that small little document there, that small little book, very, very thin book as well. That's the SAS Survival Guide. If there was any literature that I would recommend that you get, it would absolutely be the SAS Survival Guide. You can look for that online and you'll be able to get a copy of that. That'll help you immensely. It goes with me everywhere whenever I go into the wilderness. That comes with me regardless. And then there's two more things that I just want to show you real quick. So having a good quality compass, this is a diving compass, very rugged, long lasting as well. And it's really good to have with you at all times and understand exactly how a compass works. And then lastly, the third item that I've got for you guys as well is having a good survival knife. Um, and you'd be able to tell if it's a good survival knife or not, but the fact that it's full tang and what a full tang knife means is basically the blade is running all the way through the handle. So it'll last a lot longer than having a knife that is, for example, a switch blade or a blade that is half tang. What I'm doing now is I'm just plugging in. I was hoping you go a little bit longer there <laughs> because I'm plugging in your your um, your uh, link. Uh, so I already put it in the window, but I'm putting it on the description for the video. So, folks, if you want to watch uh, his videos on survivalism and how to protect yourself and how to take care of your loved ones, you can do that by going to the link that I've just put in the chat there and save that. Or just after this is over, check out the description. Uh, it'll be right below there. I've just put it in. So guaranteed it's in there now. And my apologies for not doing it sooner. I've really got to get better at this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so it's in there now, so you can check that out, guys. Yeah, so um, let's see. What else can we talk about here? Um, so your family, are, you, are your family into it, or did you drag them into this, or is it just part of the ethos? <laughs> is it part of the ethos of your family? Because, you know, some people just want to be sticks in the mud. I don't want anything to do with that. Just just tell me when it's time to go. I'll get in the car and take the kids. <laughs> um, so that's definitely a very good uh, topic to bring up as well. Um, you should never really force survivalism and uh, preparedness onto your family. It's definitely something that's a gradual process, um, stocking up and making sure that you can. My wife is absolutely one of the most intelligent human beings I've ever come across in my life. Um, I'm glad that I married up intellectually, I've got to say that. And um, when it does come down to the preparedness and level of preparedness, she actually is the balance that balances me out because um, I am somebody that is um, passionate about things. 
So instead of being too headstrong, I always listen to her advice and she'll tell me if something is a good step forward or not. Um, we definitely have a 50-50 in our relationship as well. I've been with her for the last 10 years. So it's definitely something that um, I have a large amount of, you know, I really have a large amount of respect for her opinions. So that's very useful and helpful. No, I think that's great advice. And it's too late to offer this to you now. But what I was going to say, Dabble, it's always important when you marry to marry up in looks and finances. But it's too late now. So you kind of got what you got. Hopefully you came out ahead on that too. <laughs> <laughs> I see Terence has just joined us as well. I just want to say hello to him because he's always uh, around as well with the channel and he's always giving some good comments. So hello to Terence. Good to see you there as well. Yeah, now there's a couple of really good points that come in there after Tune says hello, and that's from Nigel talking about super glue used in Vietnam to close wounds. That's true. Uh, these days, uh, that's still an effective measure. I mean, it's it's not the first thing you go after, but it can do the trick. Uh, but uh, we also, for you know, for sucking chest wounds, we learn to use the plastic from Meals Ready with Eat, the containers of that, use that to seal up a sucking chest wound if that happens. All kinds of field remedies out there. And then after that, uh, Rudy said a hole in the ground uh, filled with uh, crushed plants and covered with a plastic sheet can give you enough water to survive. Actually, plastic sheeting is critically important, particularly in um, arid and semi-arid semi places. Uh, for instance, if you know anything about the Namib Desert, there are a lot of creatures. There's a lot of wildlife in the Namib Desert, including um, heaven's balk and elephants out there. You're like, what are they doing? There's there's no water. Well, there are some water sources, but most of the, 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 the life that exists out there, whether it's insects or animal life, lives because of the winds that come in with moisture at night and the precipitation that collects uh, from the humidity on the plants and leaves and the soil and the sand. And lots of little things, you know, the leaves, it kind of channels it down so they actually get enough water. Same yeah. thing, the same principle applies with plastic. You use that to catch precipitation at night, not in the form of rainfall, but in ambient moisture that collects as dew, and then you can have water from that. Absolutely. And um, what is being mentioned there as well, what Rudy's mentioning is a solar still. So you guys can look up that as well and see how to create one of those. So solar stills are incredibly good at having water and all you need is a plastic sheet. It's very good in your to, if you're going to be building a kit to have a couple of uh, very strong, durable, um, we call them black bags here, but they're essentially um, refuge bags. And having those at hand as well is incredibly important. You can also take a plastic bag, wrap it around the branch of a tree in the morning. And during the, during the day, if that tree is non-toxic, preferably, and during the day, the condensation from that as well will also make, um, will essentially be able to have a enough drinkable water at the end of the day as well. So soda still is very, very good. Um, understanding how to do that. And it goes along with everything regarding survival. You've got to keep practicing what you're being, as you see, made a funny comment there, I apologize. But yeah, um, essentially having your, um, having your skills in practice is absolutely the best way to keep those skills as sharp as possible. I saw Tins comment there. Okay. All right. <laughs> right. Tins is banned from the chat. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Well, look, I mean, when the game of chess is racist, I pretty much everything's racist. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I won't comment on that. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, okay. But Tom uh, is saying that uh, it should be fresh urine. What you guys are talking about? Urine. I'm not, no, no, thanks. I'm going to go with the dew. I'm not going to, I'm not going to resort to urine yet. We can hold off on that. That's the last resort, man. <laughs> Drinking my urine. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly why you should be come a little bit more survival orientated so that you never need to do anything like that. Exactly. Because that's really, there's a great saying um, from another uh, famous survivalist, Canadian prepper, probably one of the most internationally renowned, um, where he says that the regular people survive and the preppers 
thrive. So that's really a good quotation, little uh, stigma that he's got. And essentially that, what's, that's what that means. Um, even if you have no equipment, no kit whatsoever, and you go out there, humans are incredibly adaptive. And you're always able to essentially um, be ingenuitive as well and creative. And you can absolutely find ways to survive just with a, so if you, even if you get yourself, which is the first item I'd always recommend, is getting a good survival knife. So even if you have a good survival knife, you'll be surprised how many people have been able to overcome immense tragedy just by having a good amount of willpower. Willpower and the right mindset, it doesn't matter what somebody looks like to me, it matters what their mindset is. Because your mindset will be what gets you through those really bad days as well. So coming down to what you really need, if I had to give you one um, um, solid advice besides for the survival knife, it would just be to have a good mindset and to be helpful and loving to the people that are in your life right now and to not burn your bridges with people that you currently know, because it's going to be very useful for you to have a strong community that you can absolutely trust if things were to go south. So that's honestly my best point about that. Yeah, and I think it's absolutely important. And I think one, one, one thing in all of this is that um, if you're prepared, if you rehearse, if you practice, if you plan, then you build confidence. And confidence helps remove ambiguity. And in times of crisis, people who are confident and know they can rely on their skills, regardless of how bad the situation are, those are the people best positioned to survive and help others survive. Not a guarantee, but it certainly goes a long way. Yeah, absolutely. The knowledge base that people can build upon is much better. And also, um, just another topic that could help you immensely is the media coming out of Hollywood. Um, as Chris was saying right in the beginning of this interview, well, right in the beginning of our meeting, um, he was saying that you know there's a large amount of growth within Hollywood with the movies. Um, if you haven't seen the movie The Road, it's called The Road. It is absolutely a really good movie for you to see how bad situations could potentially get. But it's got a very... Um, depressed type of uh, atmosphere to the movie as well, but it's very realistic and down to earth. So if you haven't seen The Road, I absolutely recommend watching that. Well, I have to be honest and confess that if you go into my, uh, uh, sorry, uh, The Brew is not here, so I don't have to say garage, I'll say garage. But if you go into my garage, uh, you, you'll find on the walls that my entire garage is decked out in uh, where I learned all my survival skills from the original Mad Max. That's right. Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> I'm a, I'm, even though the more recent adaptation isn't really story driven and yeah. just visually explosive, um, Mad Max is, that's that's what um, a lot of survivalists term, like if things have to become a Mad Max situation and it gets brought up quite a lot. So I really have a large amount of respect for the older original trio of movies, the Mad Max 1, 2 and 3. Absolutely like priceless movies to watch. And also um, Waterworld. Yeah. Waterworld's another movie that um, some of us in my generation would absolutely be able to remember. So things could go south very quickly if that had to occur. No, absolutely. And and you never know. You never know when things are going to happen. I mean, look, I mean, how many people in Minneapolis and Portland and Seattle and New York and D.C. expected their neighbors to start looting and burning and accusing them of being this, that and the other overnight? People didn't expect that. And they're dealing with the consequences of it. It's not a natural disaster. It's certainly a man-made one, but it's a real problem for people in those locations. So you should always be prepared. You should always you should always be informed. I think I think that's critically yeah. important. Yeah. Keep your ear to the ground, yeah, as much as possible. That's right. Well, let's see. Can we get any last thoughts? Uh, um, and would you be willing to come back on the channel? Maybe we could talk about your experience here in the States where you were teaching um, survivalism. You mentioned that. We didn't really get to that. But uh, if you're interested in coming back on the channel, I'll extend that invitation. And um, do you have any final thoughts for us before we wrap up? 
Absolutely. If there was a final thought that I could give to the viewers at the moment, and just to understand that uh, preppers in general, survivalists, really are usually family people, and they are committed to protecting and preserving their, not just their family, but the community that they're in as well. So we do this out of love for protection of the family that you're in. So love needs to be the driving value behind being prepared or being a survivalist in general. And um, I just want everybody, I'd definitely be willing to come on the show at a later stage. I'd love to do so. And um, thank you for all the work that you do, Chris. I really think that it uh, comes down to being people like yourself, shedding light on topics where other people just choose to refrain from. And uh, thank you to all the viewers today for spending the time today as well in your comments. It's really been appreciated greatly. And uh, it's very good to be on your show, Chris. Thank you. Well, no, Don, well, it's my pleasure. Thanks for coming on. But also, thanks for being a, a loyal follower of the channel. I really do appreciate the, the subscriptions uh, from everyone. And, and those who even, even, you know, some people don't subscribe. They just, they hang out in the channel. Although I wish they become subscribers, but they're welcome back on the channel. But thank you for being a subscriber and also to the members of the channel. But but thanks for coming on. I think this is a fascinating topic. And if we had done it in February, March, people would have been like, oh, it's clickbait or you're trying to, you know, trying to scare people. No, we did it now. And we're just trying to remind people that this isn't something you worry about because of the pandemic. It's something you should be concerned about all the time. Yes? Absolutely. Thank you for covering that, Chris. And that's exactly what this is about. All right, cool beans, Dabble. Thanks a lot. I'll ask you to leave the meeting in Zoom there and I'll wrap up here with everybody and we'll be back on later on. But go ahead, I'll let you leave the meeting there. Thanks a lot, Dabble. Appreciate it. Bye-bye, right, guys. Bye. All right, folks, you've been listening to Dabble Smith, who's a survivalist here on Chris White Africa. I hope that you found this an informative stream. The idea was not to frighten people, but to talk about the importance of uh, survival skills and preparedness and yeah, being a prepper maybe. But all of that plays a role. It's critically important uh, for your health and well-being when things go bad, or as we say in the Army, when the balloon goes up. So you want to prepare for when the balloon goes up or perhaps um, if the zombie apocalypse comes along. So ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you all for tuning in today. I hope you found this a fascinating and, or at least interesting. I found it fascinating. I really enjoyed this stream. Uh, we had some really good guests of late. Uh, speaking of good guests, uh, Friday, right here in Chris White, Africa, there's this guy, I don't know, this Oki. Uh, he sings a little bit in Afrikaans. I heard he used to be on these television shows. I think one was, um, what's the Place of Gold? Egoli, I think it's called. And uh, Sieben Delan, I don't know, some kind of soap opera in South Africa. Did some movies, had a few hit songs, I think. Um, no, that's right, ladies and gentlemen. South African icon, music legend, Steve Hofmeyer, right here in Chris White Africa, Friday at noon Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m. Uh, in South Africa and Botswana, 5 p.m. in Namibia for those Afrikaans speakers in Namibia who want to tune into this. So catch us this Friday for Steve Hofmeyer right here on the channel, folks. It should be fascinating. Uh, bring your A game if you've got questions. I don't know if we'll get to them, but I'll try to get to questions. Uh, we'll see how that goes. So Steve Hofmeyer on Friday. And for those who would like to see her again, Unati Kwaza will be back on the show. This is a uh, lovely Kosa lady who lives in Cape Town. She's a businesswoman and she is right in the head. In other words, she's a little bit to the right of the political spectrum and um, doesn't buy into the nonsense that's happening politically in South Africa. She's quite an independent thinker, a free thinker, uh, formerly associated with the Institute for Race Relations, but she's recently left there. So I think I'll ask her about that. Anyway, so that's, uh, we just had Double Smith on survivalism and prepping. Friday, Steve Hofmeyer. Saturday, Unati Kwaza will be back on the channel. I hope that you guys find those good guests. I always am trying to find Compelling guests and compelling topics for everybody. This is not a channel simply about politics and news. That's a major part of it, but it's also about culture, life, language, and faith, all those things. Anything, uh, conservation, we've talked about conservation. Here you see survivalism. So we talk about whatever might be interesting for our guests around the world, uh, but particularly in Africa and especially in South Africa. So thank you for your time. I will do a stream later today for the Night Owl editions of Stray Voltage. Night Owl editions of Stray Voltage because we didn't have one 
owing to the special feature today. So tune in for that and you'll get to hear uh, Steve Hofmeyer's video about discrimination, which will be broadcast in English on my channel later today at 9.35 South Africa time, 3.35 Eastern Standard Time, right here on Chris White Africa. Thank you all, ladies and gentlemen. Really appreciate the audience, appreciate the comments. And uh, I hope that this was something that you found useful. And also some really good comments out there with uh, good advice, people who obviously know about preparing and planning ahead. So thank you so much. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and close out and uh, wish you all a good early evening and as well as, um, as a pleasant, um, pleasant afternoon here on the East Coast of the U.S. where people are still kind of up and running around. So we're going to close out with that. Folks, thank you so much. God bless, and we'll see you later.